Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Toss your burnt knives into the glove box, throw your spliffs out the window. We're getting ready for today's session of the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. While you're settling down, my name is Dylan Purcell. I'm the sports editor at the Lethbridge Herald, and I am your moderator for today. I dress the part. Now, I hate to harsh everybody's buzz right off the bat, but we need someone at each table to collect $11 per meal and make sure it gets in the basket at the center of the table. You all know the drill. You all know the drill. Please also, please turn off your cell phones before the presentation. They'll upset the universal harmony of this event. As always, this session is being recorded. The presentation itself will take about 30 minutes. Then we get the munchies. Then we have question period. And if I don't have you out of here by 1.30, the Gestapo over there is going to tie-dye my hide. So today's topic, uh, Dr. Diana Dow-Edwards will tell us about exposing the developing brain to marijuana. What are the risks? With our new head of hair in Ottawa, Canada is set to embrace reefer madness and become the second country in the world to legalize recreational marijuana. Few illegal drugs are marketed as well as Mary Jane, often portrayed as the drug of lovable, absent-minded old hippies or stressed-out college students. It's associated with emblems like this peace symbol, which I made myself, and this ubiquitous alien. But marijuana is actually the most highly abused illegal substance during pregnancy and in adolescence. However, because of its often benign portrayals in popular media, many people are not aware that it is addicting to the user and toxic to the nervous system. Professor Dow Edwards is a professor of physiology and pharmacology at the State University of New York Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn. She's in our windy, traffic-free city as the Fulbright Distinguished Visiting Research Chair. What a wonderful title. She works with Professor Robin Gibb at the Canadian Center for Behavioral Neuroscience over at the university on the other side of town. And what all of that means is that she's very, very qualified to talk about THC's effects on developing brains and how it can permanently alter the developmental trajectory of important neuronal circuits or just brain stuff if you're an adult old hippie. So please, let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Diana Dow-Edwards. so much. I have just absolutely enjoyed my, uh, I've been here two and a half months already in your beautiful city, and uh, I'm really, really grateful to be here. Uh, right at the beginning, I just want to point up um, the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative and Palix Foundation, who have funded my, uh, my tenure here, and as well as uh, Fulbright Canada. So, so the, today I want to talk about marijuana and the uh, developing brain, except I didn't get how to change the slides. There we go. <clears throat> so, timer's on, right? <laughs> uh, the brain is sensitive from the early fetal period through adolescence and into adulthood, uh, okay? And the, the, during this period, we see the development of emotional regulation, reward circuits, stress response circuits, control circuits, that is like how you control your behavior, as well as cognition. Virtually every system, naturally, that involves the brain 
undergoes development, and it's a protracted, prolonged period of development. Now, throughout the entire period, any drug, any drug which interacts on the brain can potentially alter the developmental trajectory, any drug. As I will show you, marijuana will affect the development of all these circuits. So, just the scope of the problem. So, <clears throat> we already heard a little bit about the, the uh, number of people using marijuana. The statistics from SAMHSA are that in, uh, there were 20 million users in 2013, and that it increased to 22.2 million users in 2014. This is a 10% increase in marijuana consumption in this one metric uh, in one year. Okay, so it's really exponential. 42% of people over the age of 12 report lifetime use. This is an underestimate, I'm sure. 6% of pregnant women between the ages of 15 and 44 admit to using marijuana. Remember, marijuana is illegal still in most of the United States. 18.3% of pregnant women in the 15 to 17 year old category. So these are your teenage pregnant moms, okay? And they are really at high risk for marijuana use. Previous month adolescent use has been holding fairly steadily at 22%. And, and you say, well that doesn't sound like too much, but 45% uh, report lifetime use, and these are uh, old, including older adolescents. But of the 15 to 16-year-olds, over a third of them are using marijuana. So these are the young kids, and I will show you today why this is so bad, because the, the 15 to 16-year-old is clearly not a mature brain. 26% of adolescents feel that smoking is risky. That's one out of four think it's dangerous. And there are many surveys here from, I've got a slide way at the end that talks about uh, what Canadian youth think. And by and large, Canadian youth think that it's safe. Now, I just want to compare with tobacco, okay? A lot more people smoke tobacco, 25% of the population. However, adolescent tobacco use is down to 5%. So why is this? Why would this be? Why would adolescent tobacco use be, be reduced? They know it's dangerous. It causes cancer. They see pho uh, photographs of people smoking out of their trachea, okay? The word gets through. And if adolescents think it's damaging to them, to their health, they will not do it. Why is that important here? Well, this, this shows you some data. <clears throat> These are 12th grade students, and this, this is years from the mid-70s all the way up to 2013. The red line is perceived risk. So here are the 70s and 80s. The perceived risk of marijuana smoking, of dangers from marijuana, is very low. All right? This is the Woodstock era. And use was very high, oh, 50% of kids were using marijuana, 12th grade. These are 12th graders. Then Reagan came along and, you know, drugs are bad. Perceived risk went up, and look at that. Use went down, okay? Then everybody realized Reagan didn't know what he was talking about, and <clears throat> perceived risk went down, right? 
and look at the use. It's gone back up. So perceived risk is so important to drive consumption, all right? If a kid thinks it's dangerous, they will not tend to use it. They may use it a little bit, but clearly they will limit their own use. And if I don't teach you anything else today, <laughs> this is an important factor because the implicit or the implication in legalization, and I'm not really going to talk about it, but the implication is that it's safe. If it's legal, it must be safe, right? Alcohol is legal. Cigarettes are legal. We know those are not safe. But now they're making marijuana legal, right? It must be safe. And it uses, it has medical uses, right? It, it is used as a treatment for disease. So kids think it's safe, and it's not. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about dependence, all right? The people can experiment with things, but what about dependence? This is where the problem is. If, if a kid tries marijuana once, it's not that bad. But if they're dependent on it, it's a whole different ball of wax. 9% of people who experiment become dependent. Now, this is the, these are the overall statistics, okay? 17% of those who begin as teenagers so if you experiment as a teenager, 17% of them will become dependent. And of those who smoke daily, all right, up to 50% of those who smoke daily will become dependent. Now, adolescents are two to four times more likely to become dependent on marijuana compared to adults. So if you start smoking as an adult, it's, you're must, much less likely to become dependent on it than if, if you're a teenager. And this is because of the brain. And the number of people dependent on cannabis greatly outnumbers those dependent on either heroin or cocaine. All right, so we have a lot more people that have a problem with marijuana. And dependence means they can't stop, right? It's a DSM diagnosis. Now, let me talk about some terminology. <clears throat> cannabis or marijuana, <clears throat> the plant na is named cannabis sativa, all right? So the class of compounds, class of chemicals are called cannabinoids, and I'm not going to ask anybody to say that, okay? <clears throat> but that's a cannabinoid, all right? It's a class of chemicals that come from that plant. There's a whole range of chemicals. One of the most popular is tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, and I'll be using that. We use that in the lab. And uh, this is an extract from the cannabis plant. <clears throat> now, endocannabinoids are natural chemicals that are found in the brain. Your brain produces some chemicals that interact with the receptor for the cannabinoids, just like the opioids, right? Now, you all know heroin, right? Heroin interacts with the opiate receptor, correct? And why do we have opiate receptors? Well, the brain produces natural chemicals that interact with those opiate receptors, all right? So those are called endorphins. And you've all heard of like runner's high and all this, right? So these are natural chemicals that are produced in your brain that interact with the opiate receptor. So the, the cannabinoid system is very similar, all right? There are natural chemicals called endocannabinoids that are produced in your brain that interact with the cannabinoid receptor, all right? And th these are two, anandamide and 2-AG are two 
that um, I, I really, I'm not gonna really give you too much pharmacology today. But, so does that make sense, right? The, the brain has natural chemicals that interact with the CB receptor. So, well, where are those CB receptors? So this is an image produced, these are human brains, these are in frontal sections like this, and this is horizontal sections like this. And you can see here, all these dark spots, these are all cannabinoid receptors, okay? These are, each spot is an individual cannabinoid receptor. And you could see how rich the brain is in cannabinoid receptors, all right? You can virtually outline the whole cortex with looking at just the receptors, right? This area here, prefrontal cortex, that's the part of the brain that manages executive function, this air traffic control that many of you know about. Here is the caudate imputamen and nucleus accumbens. That's the striatum. That is uh, important in reward and repeated motor activities. This is the temporal lobe down here, very rich in receptors, and that's uh, important for uh, sensory association areas in sensory integration. Now in the horizontal section, we see basically the same thing. Again, prefrontal cortex, here's your striatum. Back here is the cerebellum, very, very rich in CB receptors. And that structure of the brain regulates motor behavior, makes your movements steady, um, gets initiation of movement, and also is important, we know now, in executive function. And I wanna point up here the amygdala, this little structure here is the structure that is involved in emotional regulation, emotional regulation. And just behind it is the hippocampus here that's important in learning and memory. So you can see here, when you smoke marijuana, you're not just affecting your reward system. You're not just affecting your learning and memory. You are affecting the entire brain. Now, how does this happen? I'm not gonna go through a lot of uh, neurochemistry here, but just to give you some of the basics, okay? <clears throat> you know that, that nerves, the brain works because nerves talk to each other, correct? So here's a, a, a nerve terminal, okay? An action potential or an electrical signal essentially comes down the nerve terminal, causes the release of neurotransmitter, and those are little chemicals that are in little packages, and they go across this cleft, this is called the synapse right here, to the postsynaptic nerve, all right, this place over here. And that starts a whole bunch of chemical reactions and uh, electrical stimulation that goes down to the next. So that's how the brain works, all right? <clears throat> Once this uh, response occurs over here, we get the production of endocannabinoids. This is 2-AG in this case. They just leak right back out go up here and they interact with the CB receptor. This little squiggly thing here is the illustration of the CB receptor. And what happens is when this receptor sees that endocannabinoid, it does things which shut off the release of this neurotransmitter. And this is in GABA and glutamate synapses which are all over the brain, okay? So the endocannabinoids dampen or terminate or stop that response, okay? So they are the natural control mechanism for activity in the brain. Now, here's another uh, image <clears throat> focusing in on, on uh, developing brain. 
Again, the cannabinoid receptors in the adult. You see here the cortex, how rich it is. And here's caudate putamen, which we talked about. Here's the hippocampus over here. This is a learning and memory structure. And then here is the amygdala. Oh, excuse me, here. Here's the amygdala in the adult brain. Now, this is a mid-gestation fetus right here, okay? And you see a very different pattern of receptors. The caudate and putamen, <clears throat> excuse me, don't really have receptors yet. The hippocampus is fairly mature. There are receptors there. But look at this. This is the amygdala, all right? This is your emotional regulatory center. So in the mid-gestation fetus, these were about 20 weeks gestation, you can see that there's lots of receptors there. And the, therefore, if you have a receptor, you can have an effect. All right, if the drug goes in, it will do something in this area in the fetus that does not occur in the adult. Now, what, what other ways does, uh, do cannabinoids influence development? So this is an illustration <clears throat> from a really nice paper <clears throat> from 2011 showing uh, the neurites. So the ends of the nerves, nerves grow out in early in development. And the ends are kind of like an amoeba, okay? They sort of like send out little tentacles, trying to see where they, they want to go. And they're all chemistry, chemical signals tell them where to go. And one of the main chemical signals is the endocannabinoids. So the cell produces these endocannabinoids, they interact with those receptors, and then they tell the nerve to grow this way. Over here on the shaft of the nerve, there's an enzyme here, called mag lipase, that keeps the endocannabinoids from interacting with this receptor. You don't want the nerve growing in these crazy directions. So what does marijuana do? Well, marijuana, THC, is not a substrate for that enzyme. You know, lock and key, right? Remember your chemistry? So uh, you put THC in here, and the, recept and the receptor picks it up, and says, oh, I have to grow this way, and it grows out sideways. So this has, is the demonstrated mechanism for how marijuana, THC, produces chaotic nerve growth in early brain. And I have pictures I can show you, but I'm limited for time. So, but this is a mechanism, and this is an actual real biological mechanism, and it can occur. Now, this does not mean if you smoke marijuana one time during pregnancy that your child is going to have a chaotic brain, okay? I'm not getting, being an alarmist, but clearly the mechanism whereby this could cause a chaotic brain growth is there, and clearly heavy smoking throughout pregnancy is very, very dangerous. And there have been many clinical studies to talk about this, the actual human studies, all right? There have been two really beautiful prospective controlled clinical trials, one from Ottawa, the other one from Pittsburgh, where they followed the women from pregnancy, they followed the children all the way up to the mid-20s. And they have the, they've reported this whole host of behavioral alterations. And in the interest of time, I'm not gonna dwell on them, but uh, in tremors, uh, verbal, abstract, visual and quantitative reasoning impaired, memory, verbal ability, sustained attention, impulsivity, hyperactivity, sounds like the kids of today, huh? <laughs> Executive function is altered, uh, visual problem solving, 
Hyperactivity again, impulsivity, inattention at 10 years, these studies. These are all controlled clinical trials where they took the alcohol consumption, cigarette use, and so forth, and statistically removed all of those. Imaging studies also show altered brain activation in different tests, and here, between 14 and 21 years, increased risk of cigarette and marijuana use as well as other drug use. Now, I, I'm not going to bore you with all the animal detail, but every single of these has been duplicated in animal studies without verbal. Any, of course, animals, can, we can't do anything about verbal. But all of these have been demonstrated to be biological, biological effects of marijuana. And that's what animal studies do for us. They, they allow us to say, yes, this is a biological effect. Okay, what about adolescent exposure? <clears throat> All of the clinical studies say that the earlier the exposure occurs, the more significant the effect. And over, the overwhelming number of studies talk about cognitive impairment. Adults who smoked during adolescence have a significant loss of IQ, and I'll show you some data in that, on that in a minute. But I want to finish the list. Deficits in verbal learning and memory are most significant. The verbal system has a huge, huge huge effect on the verbal system. Also, risk of psychosis. As much as 40% increased risk of psychosis. Now, their studies vary in terms of this, and uh, obviously, if individuals have first-degree relatives that have mental uh, problems, they are much more likely to exhibit them following smoking of marijuana. Also, marijuana seems to advance the age of onset of psychosis in vulnerable individuals. And one clinician I talked to, uh, she's looked at a whole variety of different uh, cohorts, and she says that of these people presenting with psychosis, young people, 65% of them are current marijuana smokers. Depression. One study, there have been many, many studies on depression. It's not, it seems to be, not as significant as, as psychosis, but two, two times increase in depression in male adolescents and a five-fold increase in depression in female adolescents if they're smoking pot. And as well as risk for other psychiatric disorders, including Adults who used uh, marijuana before age 15 were six times more likely to be dependent on an illicit drug than adults who first used marijuana at 21. So you might say, well, these, these, uh, you know, these people are smoking and drinking and hanging out with, you know, with uh, bad people, right? But it's not true. Marijuana itself increases the reward circuits, and the animal studies have demonstrated that if you administer marijuana during adolescence, those rats are significantly, uh, they have a significantly greater self-administration rate. They take many, many more drugs, and it's a whole a variety of drugs. So that is a biological effect of marijuana. Now, the uh, Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation just came out with a statement, position paper, against the legalization of marijuana. And they are treating kids, right, with marijuana dependence. And they said one of the recurring themes we hear from the youth, the kids themselves we treat, is regret of wasted time, lost opportunities, squandered talent, impaired memory, 
and reduce performance and disinterest in healthy activities. So the kids themselves are really aware that this is a big problem and we need to get the word out. Animal studies, as I said, animal studies have, uh, have supported the biological effects of marijuana for all of these categories of, of uh, behavior. And I just want to also point out transgenerational effects. That was, we've done some study, we, my colleagues have done some studies where we administer marijuana to young male rats during adolescence, they grow them up, make babies. The babies have epigenetic changes as well as behavioral changes and increased drug self-administration. So there is a transgenerational effect through the epigenetic changes. Now I said I would talk about IQ. Here's a study from Meyer of over a thousand people who were followed from birth to 38 years. Um, and what they did is uh, they tracked a whole bunch of different um, aspects, but I'm talking about IQ score here. They measured at youth between seven and 10 years old. They took the IQ tests and uh, in adulthood at 38 years. Now, infrequent users who began to smoke pot during an adulthood started out with an IQ about 104 and actually their IQ went up when they were 38 years. Frequent users who started as adults, their IQ started out lower. This is just a sample uh, issue here, I think. Uh, and it went down three points or so, okay? Frequent users. Adolescent onset, okay, here we have infrequent users who started smoking when they were adolescents. They started out about the same IQ at the beginning, right? And instead of going up, their IQ went down about seven points, okay? Frequent users started out about the same as the frequent users of, of adult onset, about 97 or so, and look what happened to their IQ. It dropped a total of 10 points, okay? So IQ is very sensitive to uh, marijuana. And the earlier one uses it, the more significant the impairment. Marijuana alters brain architecture. Now, brain development during adolescence is experience dependent, okay? So whatever experience you have as an adolescent, that will change your brain architecture. Adults who smoke as adolescents have fewer fibers in specific brain areas, prefrontal cortex, hippocampus, and sensory integration areas. I've talked about that already. I see I have my, my time, I've got to talk fast. Here's an illustration of uh, the fibers in the brain, all right? This is from uh, MRIs. Uh, and what we, they can do the settings so they can look at the fibers in the brains. And several people have studied marijuana effects. This is an adult. But chronic marijuana is associated with fiber changes in the corpus callosum, that part that connects the two sides, prefrontal cortex and parietal cortex. These are other cortical areas. The prefrontal cortex, of course, is, is your executive function area. The, also, the arcuate fibers that connects the prefrontal cortex here with the temporal lobe, these fibers have been shown to show, been demonstrated to show structural changes, and these structural changes are correlated with impaired verbal reasoning. Also, cortex thickness, all right? This is an illustration of from five to adulthood. The 
cortex changes its thickness, all right? In the young children, the cortex is very thick, but as the brain matures, the cortex gets thinner and thinner, all right? And the last area to mature is that prefrontal cortex over here. This is in a normal adolescent. Now, and this is because, as I said, experience-dependent development. So early in development, uh, at the, when the, it's a, say a five-year-old, the nerve connections are very broad. So from one nerve, you see many, many, many axons, wide fiber projections. And then as the experience comes along, shown here with this red arrow, the projections are pruned, all right? They're brought together, and they're made much more efficient. So the act activity in those neuronal circuits is much more efficient, and that is what causes development of, of higher functioning, okay? Now, this process is all controlled by the cannabinoids, the endocannabinoids. And this shows you in individuals who are either early onset smokers or late onset smokers how the cortex is different, all right? I don't have time to go through it, but there are changes in cortical thickness and gray-white matter. The blue areas are those who start smoking early have these long-term changes in the cortex. It's too thick, all right? So this pruning didn't occur normally in those individuals, all right? Just want to talk briefly about stress. Well, you may not be aware that cannabinoids are very important in the stress response system. This is an illustration from Matt Hill out of Calgary. And stress, psychological stress, changes the hypothalamus, okay, is received by the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus shoots out all of these hormones that go to your adrenal gland, and then you produce cortisol, right? That's your stress response. The cortisol goes back to the brain and shuts off the release of these hormones. This is dependent on an endocannabinoid here in the hypothalamus. In addition, there's a long feedback loop up here which involves prefrontal cortex. It also then shuts off the release of those hormones. So just like cannabinoids are important in the control of neurotransmitter release, they're important in the control of these hormone release, the stress response. So you could imagine if you're smoking pot, while the system is developing, you can get a dysregulation of your stress response. And I just want to show one other uh, data slide here. This is a force swim test. Um, these, we, these are our experimental subjects. They actually like to swim. Rats do like to swim. In this case, they can't get out, and they eventually just give up and float. And the time, if the longer it takes them to give up over here, the less depressed they are. And it's, it's, there's all pharmacology to support this. So what we did is we took adolescent rats and we gave them either the vehicle or THC chronically for 10 days. And then we, after the drug was over, we tested them in this, in this test. And you can see here the THC increased latency to immobility. So it's an antidepressant effect. Now these rats were stressed, shipped in at P14. These rats were born in the lab. We took care of them. We played with them when they were little, okay? They did not show a response to THC at this dose, probably. Maybe if we had increased the dose, we might have gotten it. But I show you this to illustrate that the personal stress history has a lot to do with the response to THC, okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's that way in humans as well. 
just in summary, marijuana interferes with normal brain development and maturation. The circuits which mediate emotions are particularly vulnerable. Stress responses are dysregulated. And mental disorders, of course, are associated with dysregulated stress responses. Epigenetic changes have been identified, they are induced by these early exposures that explain the persistence of these changes to adulthood. The brain is sensitive from prenatal life all the way into adulthood. And for example, your executive function, your air traffic control matures in the mid-20s. And interestingly, plasticity, I haven't even mentioned plasticity, which is very important uh, in uh, the hippocampus for the encoding of memory. That's how your memories are formed. That also involves a cannabinoid receptor. And these remain sensitive to marijuana throughout the lifespan. Canadian youth want to want, want, there's the Canadian Center for, on Substance Abuse in 2013 uh, conducted a focus group uh, of Canadians across the, the country from 14 to 19 year olds and these kids want to increase the content on marijuana in prevention programs right? they're not getting the information they want prevention, the prevention message to be delivered earlier you know, mid-high school is too late. Those delivering the prevention message should have first-hand knowledge of the drug as well as ability to connect with the youth. And then approaches aimed at reducing harms should also be given. Tell kids marijuana impairs time sensi sensi sensitivity, so therefore it could impair driving, and it does impair driving. And I just want to acknowledge again um, the uh, Fulbright Canada Palix Foundation, NIH, that's funded my research over all these years on a state of New York employee, and particularly our subjects, because of course we can't do these studies without uh, animal studies, and the animal studies allow us to determine the biological basis of all of these clinical findings that we have. And of course, I've had a, a tremendous staff over the years to help me with these long-term studies, without which I couldn't do anything.